Hey everyone, my name is Michelle and welcome to Romcom Weekly. Today, my friend Monica is back on the podcast and we're talking about the movie Down with Love. Hi, Monica. Hey, Michelle. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, happy to be back. It's been a while. A few things about this movie. It was released in May of 2003. It's directed by Peyton Reed. It's written by Eve Allert and Dennis Drake. It stars Renee Zellweger, Ewan McGregor, David High Pierce, and Sarah Paulson. The IMDb.com summary is, In 1962, New York City, love blossoms between a Playboy journalist and a feminist advice author. It has a 6.3 on IMDb, and it made just under $40 million at the box office. All right, Monica, what would you rate this movie on a scale from 1 to 10? Oh my god. Um, So I did look at the IMDb rating because it showed up, and I was like... This is way lower than what I rated it. I think I put it at like a 7.5. Okay. I like this movie, obviously, because I chose it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's like a perfect movie by any means. There's some like cringy stuff because of the era that it's put in, but also just that era of rom-coms. I think the scripts were a little cringy by today's standards. Yeah. But generally, I still like this movie. I enjoy watching it. So yeah, I put 7.5. Okay. Um, so I'm a little bit lower than you, maybe not so surprisingly, because it, it yes, you did choose this film. I admit this movie doesn't really have a lot of emotional weight for me, so I'm giving it a six. Okay. In line with what everybody else put. <laughs> yes, it does appear to be that way. But what's your relationship with this movie? So I saw this movie for the first time in high school. Mm-hmm. I think what drew me to this movie was... Well, number one, a friend wanted to watch it, so I ended up watching it. But I really like Ewan McGregor. I love Moulin Rouge. Mm. And so, like, that is an automatic draw. And I I like Renee Zellweger. Bridget Jones is, like, so good. So yes, I love watching her in these more romantic roles. But, yeah, I've watched it probably a few times here and there. It's not something that I, like, pick up and rewatch all the time. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first time that I've watched it in a a few years. Got it. Yeah, so I I was trying to remember for me as well when I first saw this movie. And I think this may have just been my second time watching it. I think the first time I saw it, I don't think I saw it in theaters. It must have been like rented from Blockbuster at the time or something (laughs) like that. Um, But I think for me, maybe I just didn't get it when it first came out. You know, like I'm not someone who's really well versed in the 60s genre Mm-hmm. So for me, I was just like, oh, this is really kooky and this is really weird, but it wasn't kind of the weird that I was usually into, I guess. But yeah, it's a really fun watch. I genuinely forgot how this movie played out. So it felt like I was watching it for the first time. And also the ending, very unpredictable, which is not usually the case for rom-coms. Yeah, I will say that like the thing that I remember very fondly about this movie is the twist, right? Mm -hmm. So I enjoy it quite a bit and maybe overlook some of the the less okay things because of the twist. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, What are some other things you like about this movie? Um, I really love the era in which it's set, just from a design perspective, Mm because There's like a lot of mid-century modern kind of like Mad Men aesthetic to this movie. And also like the music, which I'm sure we'll get to later on. Yes. But like, I love like that big American bandstand sound. 
Mm-hmm. And so everything about the aesthetic really worked for me, as well as like the over the top tone of the movie. Like there's no like sadness really to it. It's very just like fun um, and an easy watch. So I, I like watching it. I also, when picking up on it this time was like, oh yeah, there's a lot of color symbolism in this hmm. movie, which I found very cinematically pleasing. Got it. Yeah. Well, I definitely agree with you. Like the sets, the production, the wardrobe, the music, as you said, it's just all very fun. And mm-hmm. I do love this depiction of the of the city, New York City in the 60s. Uh, it was so glamorous, but obviously it's like only if you have the means and the money to, to go to all these shows and dress up and yeah. all that stuff. But yeah, what a snapshot, I guess, of the 60s at the height of the glamour. Yeah, I think there's a part of me that also inherently just loves anything that's set in New York as well, even Mm -hmm. though in the very opening scene when she like hails a cab, she basically walks from Grand Central Station to like like the United Nations. And that's like, I think that's like four or five avenues or something. I think you're correct. Yeah. That's not right. (laughs) I definitely noticed that as well. Uh, I was like, okay, I guess this is where we are. But I do want to agree with you what you mentioned about Renee Zellweger and Ewan McGregor. I really like both of them as well. I'm a huge fan of Moulin Rouge. I love that movie. I did see the musical actually like right before the world shut down in 2019. And yeah, it's it's a, a movie that means a lot to me. So getting to see Ewan McGregor kind of sing and dance in this was also kind of a nice, fun, I don't know, throwback, I guess. And Renee Zellweger. So I was actually looking up at her IMDb. Because I was so curious. She was at the height, I think, at this time. So in 2001, she does Bridget Jones's Diary. She's Oscar nominated for that movie. Mm -hmm. 2002, she does Chicago, also Oscar nominated. And then 2003, she does Cold Mountain, which she wins the Oscar for. Oh, wow. And then she does this movie in 2004. Yeah, so Renee Zellweger was, I guess, the it girl of the early 2000s. At least, you know, Oscar seems to think so. Yeah, I actually only have watched her romantic comedies. I think <laughs> Chicago's on my list, but I, I know that it's not like the same tone as her other movies. Mm-hmm. What I didn't know was that she's from Texas, I think, right? Yes. And I thought she was like a British native because of Bridget Jones. I was like, no way would they cast like an American to play mm a British role but yeah so I was pleasantly surprised by her performance in this movie I thought it was very fun and very cute yeah she's so cute she's so playful I was actually kind of getting Elle Woods vibes at the beginning of this movie like we see her she's wearing pink she's wearing that I don't know pillbox hat and it turns out that the writers of this movie actually did write Legally Blonde too funnily Uh enough so I just thought that that was a weird connection that I that I got but yeah, those are the things I liked. Anything else for you? I really love the wardrobe in this movie. Because mm-hmm. I think like that opening shot where she comes out of Grand Central and she's wearing basically that pink pencil dress mm-hmm. with the matching coat on top and that oversized white purse or I don't know if it's a briefcase or a suitcase, but it's so big, right. so impractical, <laughs> so white. And it's the contrast of that against the rest of like the squares in New York, I guess. I thought that was really, really good. Yeah. The other thing that I really liked about this movie were the directorial choices during mm-hmm. the phone calls because yes, 
I thought they were so funny, especially the way that they chose the shot when the first set of calls goes through and then the second set of calls when they're like a little bit more engaged with one another. I thought they were so clever. And maybe it's just, you know, lowbrow humor, but it it really appealed to me. (laughs) No, I know exactly what you're talking about. Those were really fun moments as well. I don't think I expected them, you know, because this movie is made in the 2000s and then for it to kind of pay homage to the 60s and again I'm not someone who grew up watching movies made in the 60s and I wonder if that was a thing in my reading about this movie it seems like it kind of was so yeah kudos to the director in making those style choices it felt very reminiscent of like the James Bond opening sequence where there's a lot of these graphical elements to mm-hmm. the opening sequence and they they have like this movement to them where they bounce all over the screen and so it, it did feel very much like a good homage. I agree. Have you seen Austin Powers? Yes. Yeah. There are some moments where the camera work reminded me of Austin Powers, but like Austin yeah. Powers was a little bit more like crude. Well, I guess this was this was a little bit more playful, obviously, but yeah, it made me chuckle. I enjoyed it. You mentioned the color symbolism. Can you tell me more about that? Because I didn't catch any of that, actually. So I think if you look at everybody who's like a native New Yorker, nobody is dressed in any colors that are like as bright and playful mm. as Barbara's wardrobe. Even when she goes to lunch... Or maybe it's dinner. Like when she goes to lunch with her editor and Catcher Blocks' friend for the first time, she starts off in this black coat, but then she opens it and it's like a bright yellow dress. And Mm -hmm. so like as you see more and more of her influence, I think, permeate through her book, you see more and more pops of pink. Mm-hmm. And that really just starts from the beginning, right? Her first outfit to her book cover to all the women then starting to wear like little pops of pink everywhere. Yeah, I think it's it's very subtle. For me, when I first watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, there's something about the feeling where it gets more interesting. But my second watch, I feel like that really stood out to me. And then the other thing is, um, one of the things that Catcher Block says in the beginning is he says like, oh, she sounds like a brunette spinster. <laughs> and then she, he realizes, oh, she's a blonde. And then towards the end, there's like that moment where he's like, what about something between mm. a blonde and a brunette? And, you know, the red hair comes out. So yep. I think color plays like a pretty big part at least at a certain level in this movie Mm. yeah now that you mention it that's absolutely true yeah I I guess I don't know what the average wardrobe was of the 60s I am curious to kind of see if it was colorful or like when did the whole stereotype of New Yorkers only wear black when did that start to come into play maybe like the 80s I guess I have no idea But yeah, yeah, it's very colorful. And I think that adds a lot of like the the joyful vibe to this movie. So what are some things you don't like about this movie? I think when I watched the movie, I was like, oh, what what am I not going to like? And one of the things that does not age well with this film is like the romance between the two, which is I think what you were catching on to, Mm -hmm. which is like they go on this montage where they're going to these shows and they're going out. But really, you don't know exactly why Catch is, like, into Barbara. Like, all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, he just starts to care. And it's also, once the twist is revealed at the end, you don't really know why Barbara is into Catch. You just know that they have good chemistry, but the personality traits don't really come through all that much as to, like, what makes them a good match. 
Mm-hmm. So that kind of was like, oh, I don't know what the redeeming thing about him is that she saw, especially when she first met him, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think the other thing that I didn't like about this movie was like some of the jokes don't age well. I know it's supposed to be a satire, so like some of the jokes are pretty exaggerated, but this mm-hmm. whole confusion that Vicky has. Mm with her love interests is also it's like it's a little antiquated in terms of like social awareness yeah um i agree with everything you're saying uh i think for me catcher block was just incredibly not likable (laughs) (laughs) and then yeah why why did barbara novak love him so much as when she was nancy brown to go on to this whole long con to get him to fall in love with her. And I don't know if we're meant to question it, you know, obviously, <laughs> but I just found myself being like, he's so hard to like. And then to the point where at the end, I was like, I don't know if I need them to be together. Yeah. I wasn't sure if I wanted that for Barbara's character because she realized her positive influence over all these women. So I was like, I don't I don't want her to end up with him, but ultimately spoiler alert they do and I think I was trying to dig for something deeper that wasn't really there so yeah I I agree with you and like the whole joke about Vicky and David Hyperius's character of Peter McManus it it was a little convoluted I guess and uh yeah maybe it was just a sign of the times of the 60s I I have no idea if that was a thing about him being a little bit more effeminate and him not being strong enough and Vicky questioning his sexuality i was like okay okay i feel like we were reaching but maybe this was what it was like but that's okay yeah when i was trying to figure out like which character do i like the most and which one do i not like at all i was just trying to say like what are the characters in this movie Mm. and ewan mcgregor's character of catcher block is like what was his redeeming quality i think it's like he's a good journalist (laughs) right which is like you know Sure. A career career focused guy, <laughs> but he's a womanizer, playboy, and really, did we learn anything much about him? Not really, right? Mm. We don't we don't learn that he has like siblings that he's really you know caring of, or that mm. he's very protective of animals, or even his parents, or just like the neighbor down the street who doesn't have anybody. So right, there aren't that many redeeming qualities um, other than. The fact that he's like a Pulitzer winner, I think. Mm. And so he must be doing something right. But I actually really loved Zip Martin, even though it was like an <laughs> alter ego. He he was pretty smooth. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, he, I've heard this come up recently. Uh, a new trope of the himbo. Have you heard this term? No. As in a play of like the bimbo? Yeah, like a play on the bimbo, like a really, like a kind of a dumb, good looking guy <laughs> is called a himbo. And I was like, oh, this is the kind of character that he's playing. Oh with my like gosh. These, these Midwestern values, but like really strong sense of like innocence and a little bit like naivete compared to like her aggressive sexual nature while, when they meet. Right. And I was like, I would actually be into this guy a little bit more than catch your What does that say about you, Monica? I don't know. <laughs> but that's, that's really funny. I have not heard of the term himbo, but I, I do think that if I were to meet 
or come across as Zip Martin. He's way more, uh, I don't know, interesting than yeah. Catcher Block. Uh, yeah, Catcher Block is just a douche, asshole kind of guy. But Zip, if he was a real person and with those actual true Midwestern values and worked at NASA or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'd Not be like, love, tell me more. You know? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Catcher Block is hard to like. And then, yeah, Peter actually, he treats Peter pretty badly in this movie. Like he mm-hmm. fails on him when he's like depending on him to, you know, play wingman for him um, to go finagle with some flight attendants. So he's not that great of a friend. And then even when he brings it back up later in the movie, he says he says it because he's mad that Barbara calls him out on the, uh, the Ed Sullivan show. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things about that relationship is also like he's not treating his friends very well, which is not good or very likable. Yeah. So Nancy, yeah, Nancy's taste, a little questionable is <laughs> yeah. what I'll say. Yeah, um, because presumably he was very dismissive of her, right? Is that mm-hmm. correct? So in such a short period of time, what what is it about Catch that she just had to do, jump through hoops to get his attention? I don't know if any man, personally, is worth all that time and effort, even if you did love him, because you just want to be loved back for who you are. And he clearly didn't love her for who she is, or maybe she didn't know her potential at the time. I don't know. Again, I'm trying to dig deep and trying to find some redeeming qualities in these characters. But yeah, I don't know. I think that is a good point about Nancy's character, right? I feel like when I when I watched this movie again, I was like, what is her character arc? And mm-hmm. Nancy feels like she had this motivation that she wanted Catcher Block to fall in love with her. But in being like trying to transform into that person, she actually like that she was pretending to be, mm-hmm. she like accidentally actually became that woman, that mm-hmm. career focused woman. And at the end, when she says, oh, no, we can't be together because I've inspired a movement, mm-hmm. I was pretty proud of her, you know? Like, yeah. I didn't see that. I, even though I knew how this movie ended up, had totally forgotten about the part where she says no. I just mm-hmm. remember that there had been a twist. So I was very much in favor of her arc at the end yeah yeah i think nancy slash barbara's character really we don't see her at all until like maybe the last 20 minutes of the movie where we see this kind of evolution and her explanation of why she's done what she's done and maybe you know maybe this is a good segue into themes but like and maybe this is just me grasping at straws and feel free to disagree with me here i feel like one of the themes that i took away is that women you know she wrote this book down with love women should work Um, to be self-sufficient and independent. They don't need love. You know, they can just use men for casual sex. (laughs) But I feel like ultimately, you know, we see Barbara slash Nancy get her man in Catcher and that she is still independent and self-sufficient. So I think one of my takeaways or the thing that I'm, I'm choosing to take away is that women can both have a healthy relationship. I'm using healthy in quotes here because I don't know if Nancy and Catcher's relationship is healthy, but a healthy relationship and be that independent, self-sufficient woman. Yeah, I I'm actually surprised that in the IMDb summary that you read at the top mm-hmm. that she was being held up as a feminist because 
in our definition of feminism today, what we say is feminist is like, oh, like equality is our definition of feminism. Mm-hmm. And that, that extends into the home as well, right? Like there's mm-hmm. emotional labor that happens at home. There's unpaid labor that women do in a lot of families that are traditionally patriarchal in a way. Mm-hmm. And so when she says like down with love, and that's actually the takeaway that a lot of women have, is that really a good takeaway? Mm-hmm. Not really sure. What I did like, though, during the movie was when the book is introduced, I think Vicky actually does a very good job of summarizing the thesis mm-hmm. as something that like I could have actually gone behind, right? right? Women will never be happy unless they become independent as individuals by achieving, and then she says, equal participation in the workforce. Mm-hmm. questionable about that part because not all women not you don't have to work you know like there are people who stay at home and they are equal participants in the society mm-hmm. but yeah maybe in the workforce that is one way to get there and I was like yeah I'm into that and then as soon as Barbara starts saying what are the three steps and it's like oh this the main thesis is you can't become a participant in the workforce unless you issue mm. love that's actually probably the opposite. I mean, maybe maybe this is like too real because in the workforce today, there is a perception of married women that they are too busy to be active participants hmm. in a workforce. Whereas for men, it's the opposite, right? If they have a wife and kids or family, they're seen mm-hmm. as more stable. Right. So maybe for women, this is true. This is, <laughs> ironically, <laughs> But should it be true? Should it be like what women have taken away as the audience of this book? Uh, a little questionable, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I like the thesis. Her three steps are, well, at least the first one is very questionable, up with chocolate. But number yeah. two and three of taking on new challenges so that you become self-sufficient and then active in the workplace because you have the confidence for it in that era mm. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it seemed to be very controversial I think that was the whole point to get women to buy her book mm-hmm. is to, to say something really bold and radical and yeah we see in the movie that a lot of women are just sitting down reading a book and not tending to their housework or feeding the kids <laughs> and like the husband's doing it or in the the laundromat right where the woman who usually irons is now the one who's working front of the of the store and schmoozing with the customer so uh, I think on a surface level sure I, I'm on board with the uh women should do what they want, right? And not be settling just because they're women, they have to do all the housework. But yeah, I I think, I don't know, maybe we're digging a little deep here. I don't know if this is meant (laughs) to be like, what are the gender and sexual politics of of this movie and this phrase down with love? But it is definitely a lot to unpack. Uh, And I, you know, this movie clearly doesn't unpack all of it, but it's, I guess, relevant to today because, yeah, these are things that we still talk about and we still think a lot about women in the workforce. And then especially, I don't know, I read a few articles about COVID and then that also taking women back out of the workforce and staying at home more. Yeah. So, yeah, it's sadly an evergreen topic of uh, relevancy. And then I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing that like her actual step one, like when all the men in the room mm-hmm. lean in, which was hilarious, by the way, I, I was <laughs> laughing so hard when all of them had two letter initial names. Oh my gosh. Yes. I loved it. 
<laughs> but like her first step one is like saying like stop engaging with men and disconnect the act of sex from love mm. with the self-pleasuring technique of chocolate <laughs> all all of them lean in because they're like expecting her to say masturbation right right which is like actually in this day and age yeah women do need to have their own form of self-pleasure right like it's not Mm -hmm. it's not a taboo thing and so but she says chocolate and I'm like is that putting us back that she says (laughs) chocolate because you know there is like when we were younger around that age I think there was like a thing that like oh women love chocolate like maybe Mm. the valentine's day thing is like yeah just give her some chocolate yeah. So that that was something that I was like, how do I feel about this? Mm. I don't know. Because as a woman who also loves chocolate, I do use it as a self-soothing tool. <laughs> <laughs> but I also know a lot of men who also do it. So I don't yeah. feel too bad. <laughs> right, right. One thing about me is that I'm actually not a huge chocolate person. I never, I never have really? been. If I like chocolate, it's like the crappy chocolate, like milk chocolate, which I know is not like the nice chocolate to indulge in. But yeah, I'm not, that's not my go-to dessert choice of chocolate. But it, yeah, it, it, in terms of this movie, I feel like it's just a placeholder for maybe the word masturbation. Maybe. It yeah, maybe taboo. I'm not giving, them a, <laughs> not giving them enough credit for the PG, <laughs> the PG-13 movie. <laughs> but then we do see Barbara eat a lot of chocolate when yeah. she, like, when there's no man to take her out or whatever, and she's staying at home because she has no date to things she just sits there and eats her bowl of chocolate and like at the end where she gives a catch a a bar of chocolate and she just reaches for one for herself and she like aggressively starts eating chocolate I'm like okay yeah I don't know maybe it was just they like chocolate (laughs) um but that boardroom scene that you mentioned yeah definitely funny it was just wow these are publishing maybe hasn't changed all that much it's just a room full of old white men yeah, I would probably say that's true from <laughs> from everything that I've learned from BookTube is it's still very uh, segregated and male dominated. What's BookTube? Oh, BookTube is this hole that I've gone down. Oh my, tell me. It's just like YouTubers who read books and then give reviews and synopses of the books that they've read. It was for me to help to build my to-be-read bookshelf. Mm-hmm. And I've just found some very, like, interesting woke personalities, which are fun to watch because, you know, people people do acknowledge how silly, like, some genres are, like mm. YA or romance. And it feels very similar to this, which is, like, acknowledging <laughs> the silliness of, like, rom-coms. So. Yeah. I had no idea BookTube was a thing, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, everything, <laughs> everything is on YouTube, so you can definitely go down many, many rabbit holes down there. Did you pick up any other themes or am I kind of grasping for straws here? Um, I don't think too much else was in this movie because they really speed through the conflict because the, the twist at the end is like a big part of the movie, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So that was probably the main thing is like the pseudo feminism that they were trying to put on. Yeah. Pseudo feminism. I like that. <laughs> Do you have a favorite scene? My favorite scene is that one where Zip calls Barbara to invite her to dinner. Yes. And the camera's just panning because there's so much movement in it. So it's very interesting, right? It doesn't just Mm -hmm. stay half and half. And the sexual innuendo is very funny because not only is it, you know, for the positions that they're put in, it's not just like Barbara 
servicing I don't know if servicing oh, yeah. is the right word but it's like it goes both ways it's like her pleasure and his pleasure so I thought yeah. that was fun that's a good one I didn't write one down for some reason I think like because I don't have so many rewatches under my belt for this movie I, I <laughs> nothing really like nothing really stood out to me but I do think that the scene that you mentioned is the most I guess fun for lack of a better word fun scene for me as well yeah, we do see the camera go like split screen 50 50 and then also top down bottom mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, like everything you said, I agree with. And and then a little nod to like this, the smoking of the cigarette as they, yeah. after they hang up the phone. I thought that was really cute, too. Do you have any WTF moments here? So these are the most unrealistic, unrealistic moments and plot holes of the movie, oh which gosh. I will I'm caveat. So that this is. <laughs> This is such a fantastical movie. I realize that to the listeners out there, but this is always a really fun segment for me to just like break it down. But yeah, please. So yeah, that walk from Grand Central just to United Mm -hmm. Nations was like, all right, she would have like (laughs) tripped and fell by then. The other one that I thought was, and this isn't like unrealistic, but I can't believe this was ever a thing, were were her house slippers or her house shoes. Oh, yes. With the heel (laughs) in them. I was like, oh my gosh, like, they're very, very cute. Yeah. But why would anyone ever wear heels <laughs> if they didn't have to? I mean, to continue on that point is just also, that's the most dangerous time to put on a heel is when your foot <laughs> is wet with like soap and you don't even dry it off. And it's like a slide. It's not even like a, a high heeled shoe with like, I don't know, a heel support. So you're just sliding all over the place. I definitely was like, oh my gosh, was this really a thing? I think it was. Maybe it was just our perceptions of the 60s. But I was like, <laughs> oh my God, like, why was this a thing? When right. was this a thing? I'm so glad that this is not a thing. Even if it was a thing, it'd be a hard no for me. I know. We have a lot of slippers at my parents' house. <laughs> yeah. And they all have like orthopedic heels. And- <laughs> I love it. Not not even close to what's going on in this movie. Yeah, so unreal. What about you? Any what the F moments? I mean, nothing like super specific for me. It was just like, I couldn't believe the long con. I was like, this is so much <laughs> commitment. This is so much time and energy to get someone to fall in love with you. And uh, yeah, maybe I just need to, you know, go along for the ride. But I just found myself after the movie, I was like, oh, I don't. I don't know if any man is worth that much trouble, (laughs) to be honest. So that for me was just a really big, big thing. Because if you just think about the the commitment that went into it, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. I also have, I have like a lot of qualms about the apartments. Ooh. mm Mm-hmm. Barbara comes to the city and I don't know if she's living there permanently, but her book advance could not have been so much that she got that beautiful apartment, which is like, who knows however many hundred square feet. Yeah, but it a was thousand percent. huge. It was huge. And also like, she's only getting one book on the shelf. Like, yeah. so how, how does that work? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I agree with you on that. And then on the other side, Peter, who's probably the richest person out of all four of the main characters, yes. has the smallest apartment <laughs> out of all of them. And Kat, I know Catcher Vlog's supposed to be like a Pulitzer Prize winner, but there's no way that he affords that like man cave that he has on a journalist's salary, even oh, if yeah. he is flying in from like Florida or Boca Raton or whatever on a helicopter. I don't buy it. <laughs> yeah, 
No, that's such a good one. And like, it's so souped up, like with all the, I don't know, shortcuts with the, you hit a notch and the wet bar appears or like a record player appears. Yeah, like that's that's expensive ass stuff that a journalist does not have the means for. Yeah, it got it gave me very like James Bond mm. vibes. So mm-hmm. that felt unrealistic to me. And then I think we had already talked about this was like the reasons why catch starts to fall for Barbara. I'm like, I'm a little conflicted about this one because it's like, yeah, a playboy who all of a sudden has to actually pay attention to this girl's personality, Mm -hmm. finds himself catching feelings for her. Mm -hmm. And is that the thing that we should be expecting? (laughs) (laughs) So question for you, when do you think he starts falling in love with her? I was thinking about this as well. And I I don't remember which scene comes first in the movie. If it's when Peter is cooking and Catch is like sitting on the couch and then he says, you're going on a lot of dates together. And then he like realizes like, yeah, I am going on a lot of dates with her Mm -hmm. and we're not having sex. So I I can't tell if it's that moment Mm -hmm. or if it's like the moment where they're like looking through the telescope and then he goes, mm. oh, yeah. And he, like, sees her. I don't. I couldn't tell. Maybe this is, like, Catcher Block being a great actor. Or maybe it's Ewan McGregor not being a good actor. <laughs> I couldn't tell which one of the personas. It felt like the background music got a little bit more, like, genuine in the moment. So maybe it was Catcher Block. It was, like, looking at her, looking at the telescope. Mm. But I don't know that she said anything revelatory to me. <laughs> that she's like got this great appreciation for life or is like so it was sometime after the dates but unclear to me when exactly I think yeah and I think that maybe is a reason why we don't really get the redeemable qualities of catcher block either it's like there's no like spark of a moment where he's like oh I'm a terrible man I actually really like this woman yeah I think that if that moment had been played up a little bit more And if it, you know, earlier on, like if one of those were the two moments, I think that that would have benefited the character a little bit Mm -hmm. more because, yeah, we're just like, does he, doesn't he? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell. Yeah. I I found myself wondering when it was that he actually really fell in love with her. And then, you know, he is still willing to go through with like recording her and like trying to get yes. on her. So exactly. even though he likes her, he, he probably doesn't like her that much. Mm-hmm. So I found that that relationship was a little bit unrealistic for me. Yeah. And then I also did not get the whole thing with Vicky. Like <laughs> Vicky and Peter, she thinks he's queer, right? Mm-hmm. And then is like, should I just get married to him anyways? And it's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> is, yeah. it, is it just to be married? Is that what's going on here? That was a little convoluted for me. I agree. Again, I I, I got kind of lost in all that as well. Why, why did that have to be a plot point? And I wonder if it had something to do with masculinity in and of itself. Like, Yeah, I think this is a theme that we probably passed over, right? <laughs> it's like it's toxic, mas- toxic masculinity in this movie. Like, yeah. Catch is like the epitome of like the man's man, I think. Mm-hmm. And then Peter, by contrast, is like a little bit more what we traditionally consider effeminate, right? He's like mm-hmm. in tune with his feelings. He's not a playboy. He's mm-hmm. 
he like wants to do the right thing by the woman he's he, more respectful yeah. and he, he wants, wants to get married he's like yeah. yeah he's sensitive he doesn't know how to seduce a woman like all these things and it's like oh no like that's the guy you want to root for i think you know mm-hmm. yeah but then vicky being like i'm are you gay and if so that's okay we can still get married <laughs> that was just very bizarre and you want better for vicky because she's such a strong character yeah she's so successful in her career as an editor and like yeah you just want her to have the best but she's willing to marry someone who might not be sexually attracted to her although is she that good of an editor is a good question okay yeah that's a really good point too she could only get one book on the shelves she could only get one book on the shelf she would put all her eggs in the same basket for barbara's book to be on the cover of no and then it was only when that fell through did she find Ed Sullivan, which maybe getting on the Ed Sullivan show, she gets on the Ed Sullivan show by a stroke, like an act of God, right? She says yeah. that the singing nun fell off or like had a car accident or something. So she only gets it by chance. And then by chance, Judy Garland also has a song with the same title. Yep. So how good of an editor is she? I mean, she did point. She she recognized the talent, I guess, or like the unique perspective of the book. So mm-hmm. you know, she's she's doing the Lord's work by like advocating <laughs> for female authors. But in terms of like, is she a good? Maybe she's not a good marketing manager. You know, maybe yeah, those are yeah. maybe those should be two different jobs. <laughs> yeah. Nope. That's a good point. I think that's true for the in the world of publishing. You have an editor, <laughs> and then you have someone to market the book for you. So two different jobs. What a conundrum Vicky is, huh? Yeah. I like like Sarah Paulson, so I'm like rooting for her, but in the movie I'm like, oh, she she's like a interesting character for sure. Yeah. She played this 1960s like sidekick character really well, I thought. Like the <laughs> just very dramatic, kind of over the top, like acts of surprise, like expressions of surprise. Yeah, I, I don't know a lot of Sarah Paulson. I think the only thing I've seen of her is like the OJ. Okay miniseries she did where i think she like won a lot of awards playing marcia clark but uh yeah i think that's it for me but she was really enjoyable in this i just saw her recently and i say recently also in air quotes um like earlier in the pandemic in mrs america which okay. is yeah that's the fx hulu show about the fight for the equal rights amendment and so i think it's sort of in the same era but it's like a much different tone. And she she was very good in that. So I did like watching her in that. Cool. Yeah, I saw that like advertised very heavily at some point and I just never got around to watching it. Maybe I will. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on this ending? I know we've talked a little bit about it, but what do you think? How do you feel about it? Yeah, spoiler alert if you haven't watched this movie, which <laughs> why are you listening to this podcast if you haven't watched this movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like a twist. I tend to really like like thrillers for this reason as well but I like the twist that Barbara Novak is Nancy Brown and that at the end she says no to catcher until he has this like come to Jesus moment I thought it was also fun and interesting that after the book they were like I think I don't know if I'm right about this but she follows in the path of sort of like Gloria Steinem like starts now magazine Mm -hmm. which i think gloria steinem had started her own magazine as well um Mm -hmm. after i forget what else she was involved in but like in that 
in that same way of like carving out a space for women, she carves out this space for women and starts hiring all these women. Like, I really love that arc to her. But but the fact that she like gets back with Petra Block, maybe that's like if this movie was made today, they wouldn't end up together, you know, mm. because you don't have to end up with the lead in our more enterprising and thoughtful climate. Yeah. <laughs> but I was okay with them getting together as well, because I, I like a redemption arc for the character, mm. you know, so I'm a sucker for that. Yeah. And I and I like that the way that he got her attention was through applying for a very lowly job. Yeah. Like, you know, that's that's some progress. <laughs> yeah, I think for Catcher Block that was a huge leap, you know. He's basically like coming in into her office on his hands and knees being like take me back even though it's like what like a 99.6% yeah. pay like a cut. Salary cut. <laughs> yeah. How much money was he making that he's now getting 96% of his paycheck cut? Yeah. Who knows? That's, that was really funny, that little like quick banter back and forth about that. But I think I'm more indifferent about it. I do wish that they didn't get back together. And I think you're right that if this were to be made today, that that would not be the case. But I get it. It's a rom-com. A lot of the time, like traditionally, they, they end up together. I thought the redhead thing was a little bit on the nose, but maybe that's <laughs> kind of the point. Yeah. <laughs> really did not like that head wrap that she was wearing so yes I was very happy to see it go I was like no this turban or this head wrap is an interesting fashion choice but <laughs> oh okay this is why she was wearing it the whole time but I did like the song and dance at the end yes it's called I think here's to love yeah I think that's what it was it felt really appropriate in the tone of the movie it's part of my trivia that actually Ewan McGregor had to kind of like stand up to the studio to say, hey, let's do this because Aww. he had just done Moulin Rouge and she had just done Chicago. So it felt like, let's use this, you know, our musical strengths and put it in this movie. So I liked that. I thought that was fun. I'm not entirely sure if I needed Vicky and Peter to get back together. I don't know. That was also <laughs> just a really quick kind of interlude there too. It was it was cute. Fine. You know, never mind. I'll, I'll say it's cute. I liked it. I think between the two couples, they deserve to be together a little bit more than Petra and mm. Barbara, because I think there was like an, I don't know if her motivations at the beginning were very good, but she did seem into him until the misunderstanding happened. Like she did seem like she wanted to spend time with him and get to know him. Mm -hmm. And especially when the first instance where she starts to misunderstand him is like, oh, you cooked for me. So mm. there's like this appreciation there of like, and he wanted to, right? Like it wasn't mm -hmm. like necessarily a farce that he was putting on. It's like, yeah, that's his personality. He does like being like a devoted husband um, or mm -hmm. partner. So I think like I actually did like having them get back together for sure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'll change my mind. I agree with you. <laughs> I, I liked it. It was, it was cute. Um, we talked a little bit about this. I don't know if you have anything to add about the characters being likable or relatable. Yeah. We already talked about Catcher, but I think, Barbara with her character arc like I really like that she took on this convoluted plot but then ended up becoming the thing that she didn't maybe intend to become mm -hmm. the other way that I read it was maybe like oh she is it that bad that she recognized that there was somebody that she admired or wanted to be involved in who admires someone of certain talents and certain like levels of wits or confidence or something and then she decided like to use that to propel her own personality mm. 
So I do like her arc. I don't know if they're necessarily good arcs because <laughs> it reminded me a lot of like Gossip Girl. Do you, do you watch Gossip Girl? You know, I never, I never watched Gossip Girl. It like borderline is like a toxic relationship between the two. Got it. <laughs> of like, you know, the lying and the scheming and, you know, the conceit mm-hmm. of like having something go wrong or like somebody, somebody lying to the other person. So yeah, I generally liked her a little bit. And then I think Vicky had aspects of her personality that I also liked and so did Peter. So maybe the only person I didn't like as much was Petra Block. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Ketcher was just so unlikable for, for most of the movie. So are you familiar with a lot of like 60s films? I do not. I do okay. not watch a lot of 60s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm just trying to understand that this is like historical. You know what I mean? So are the characters really not likable generally in those films? Or are they really likable? Or is this film just like totally just a play on the 60s films in a very different way? Yeah. For me, I think a lot of reasons why I love a rom-com is because I feel the same feelings they're feeling. And I don't think I felt that in this movie. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But I think that just further proves like how unrelatable these characters were to me and thus not very likable. Fair. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think you alluded to this, but uh, who's your favorite character again? Or did you have one? I I ambivalently said like Barbara is my favorite. Got I, it. I think her journey is really nice. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't really have a lot of extra things to add to that. I think because I said that none of these are particularly likable people. Um, I do appreciate Barbara's arc. I don't think she meant to have this impact when she started off this con, but it was literally just to get catcher's attention. But then mm-hmm. when she sees all the positive good that she's done for women, I, I, I respect her a lot more. But then she loses a little bit of respect when she gets back with Catcher, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I think in the movie, I'm not sure if this is explicitly said, but do they get married? And then if yes or no, do you think these characters stay together? I was on the fence about this. So mm. I don't know if it's said that they get married, but I also could see them because they are so equally matched towards the end in terms of like the scheming. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see them getting staying together but then at the same time it's like what plots are you gonna pull on your spouse like now do you just pull <laughs> schemes on other people and if so maybe that's how you stay together because that's mm. the fun part you know they do mm-hmm. have like this they have a magazine they can do more investigative journalism undercover together. <laughs> that would be the happy ending right is they use they use their skills of manipulation for good. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I'm not passionate about them staying together. I think it, for me, it was like, I guess they stay together just because they've they've kind of gone through this cat and mouse game so much that it's like they've met their match in each other. Mm-hmm. But to your point, like, is this what this relationship will thrive off of? Is this ability or need to kind of like manipulate or scheme against the other? So like... How, how does that relationship stay interesting, I guess? But yeah, I don't know. We're not given a whole lot of, I don't know, extra material to be rooting for these characters. <laughs> uh, you talked about the music earlier. Yeah. And yeah, let's talk a little bit more about this. I did notice the opening song. I'm not, I wasn't familiar with the Down With Love song. But yeah, Michael Buble. I was like, oh, I know this, this voice. Yes. 
I love Michael Bublé. I've oh, you do? Him, I've seen him <laughs> twice in con- maybe just once in concert. Oh no way! How how are his concerts? They're very like <laughs> they're full of a, a lot older women than us. <laughs> I, think, I love it. I think Michael like came onto the scene in like what 1997 or something. So okay. his his fan base and people who are willing to pay money to see him mm. are like a little bit older than yeah. us. Yeah, <laughs> but he has a you know fantastic voice. Mm-hmm. He likes to sing the same genre of music as like Frank Sinatra, which like makes him a perfect fit for movies like this. So yeah, very jazzy. Yeah, I really love the soundtrack. Well, if this is on the soundtrack, I really love you know the score for this movie as well. Yeah. So this really resonated with me. It was very much my vibe. Are you really into jazz? So I claim to really like this music, but then I'm going to out myself and say, like, I don't <laughs> listen to jazz that much. I like, <laughs> Which is fine. I like listening to, like, Frank Sinatra and, like, Dean Martin and, like, that kind of okay music. But, like, if someone said, like, do you listen to jazz? I'd be like, no, that's, like, Washington Square Park. That's where jazz is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I I really like the music in this movie too. I think it really kind of puts you in this world of New York City in the 60s, mm-hmm. you know, not having lived at that time or in that place, but it really kind of just adds to the overall experience so much more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I enjoy Michael Buble. I, I haven't been to any of his concerts, but I really do like him. And I think there's like a few of his songs in this movie, right? I think he makes at least one more appearance or something, yeah. Yeah, and um, I'm not a jazz aficionado by any means, but I do appreciate jazz. And I think, like, that's what I like about this era so much is that I think, I I don't know, I I kind of wish I could have been transported into the 60s at some point just to see what the life, you know, New York City was like at this time. But it's it really adds to this world. And Judy Garland's Down With Love, which... I had never heard the song before. I actually YouTubed the performance and uh, yeah, she's very powerful. I, you know, we weren't alive when Judy Garland was <laughs> at her height, but so I don't really know a lot of her, her old songs, but it was, it really added to it, I think. Yeah. I think this is also my first time seeing her perform that song as well. I, I almost wanted to like go and down like a Wikipedia rabbit hole and see like, oh, was this a, a real book at one time? Mm. What is this song from? Because clearly to get her to perform it at one point. Yeah. You know, this movie is playing off of that title in a way. Um, but was there like a bigger thing behind it? I didn't I don't know if you looked into that. I didn't about the book. Um, I briefly looked it up uh, in terms of the song. So the song was actually written in 1937. And I think it was originally written for Broadway. But for I I don't know what happened to it. But then it has been recorded a few times. Mm-hmm. Namely, obviously, by Judy Garland. Uh, and Barbara Streisand has sung a rendition of this song. And the opening credits is Michael Buble and another woman. Yikes, I don't know the name of the musician, but sang a cover of the song. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's an old song. It's been around. <laughs> women women had these thoughts before. I'm guessing. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I was I was listening to Judy Garland sing, but I confess I wasn't really listening to the lyrics. Um, so I'll have to do a, a re-listen to that to kind of understand the real kind of meaning of this song i feel like the overlay of the montage with all the women abandoning their traditional Mm. like motherly roles actually 
matched the lyrics of the song very well. Mm. So I don't know. Yeah, I would be curious to see like what the context of the song was in in that play or musical that it was in. Yeah. Um. Well, so you really like this movie. It, I would say compared to our conversation from music and lyrics, you love music and lyrics. <laughs> yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it doesn't seem like you have as strong of affection for this movie, but what are your thoughts on, you know, is this movie an underrated one? Do you think like people should be talking about this movie more? What's your general feeling about the the popularity of this movie? I don't think I've ever heard anyone else talk about this movie before. Mm. I wouldn't say like it's, so good that you're missing out but I think like the aesthetics of it are very fun so mm-hmm. maybe it's one of those movies that if you happen to see it on tv or it just happens to be free on one of your streaming services definitely you know give it a go but would I say like maybe pay to watch it <laughs> <laughs> maybe not yeah I found myself wondering why is this movie so not talked about considering you know i mentioned renee zellweger's imdb at this time like Mm -hmm. she was hot in the early 2000s and ewan mcgregor too so his quick imdb run is 2001 he does moulin rouge 2002 he does star wars episode two Mm. 2003 he does big fish and later on in the 2000s there's there are more um star wars movies so he's also pretty relevant i mean he is still very relevant as well but Considering the popularity of these two actors at the time, I'm, I do wonder why this movie isn't really talked about that much. And to be fair, I've never seen this like just playing on TV. It's not free on any streaming service that I have. Mm-hmm. So it's not largely accessible, I guess, which may have a reason why. But yeah, I don't know. I think this is a really, you know, enjoyable movie. But literally, I don't know anybody else who's talked about this movie. <laughs> Maybe there's not an appetite for 60s throwbacks. I don't know. Yeah, I would say it's probably not a very romantic movie, even mm-hmm. though, you know, it's That's a romance fair. comedy. It's very much more like of a comedy sentimentality. So maybe it has a very niche audience. <laughs> mm, yeah, I can see that. You mentioned earlier a few things about this movie not aging well. Namely, like if this movie were to be made today, neither of us think that they would end up together. But are there other things that you think would have been done differently or? Yeah, I noticed there was one, I don't know if it's an anachronism, but when they're doing the montage and they're going to like comedy shows and stuff, one of the comics that they go see is Woody Allen. Oh, yes. (laughs) I did see that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think anybody in their right mind would admit to going to see Woody Allen today. Yeah, yeah. It's weird, I guess, because I feel like a lot of Woody Allen is so much, his his fame has a lot to do with like New York City and the scene yeah. maybe at the time. So yeah, I did notice that. I laughed as well. <laughs> and then the only other thing that I was like, oh, that's kind of iffy is like, she has this montage where the books are being sold. And it's like, it starts in like the US and then it goes, I think, to like maybe England or something or, you know, something Mm -hmm. Western. 
And then it goes to China and yeah. <laughs> like the women are wearing like the rice hats. And I'm like, all right, Chinese people don't wear the rice hats everywhere. I don't know what the state of communism was <laughs> in China, but like they definitely had modern clothes. Yes. And then it goes to like Russia and it's like, we have to hide these books and bread. And I was like, I don't know what the state of communism in Russia was, but right. this, this feels not aged well yes (laughs) a thousand percent i whenever there's like asian people that come on screen there's always like a gong that will play or something (laughs) to to symbolize eastern culture (laughs) and the second i hear that i'm like oh this is not gonna do well but i definitely was like okay i didn't need this where they're like hiding the book in their in their hats but yeah and they're also hiding the books you know what i mean as if Again, to your point, we don't know the state of communism in the 60s. Maybe that was actually true, you know, censorship and all that stuff, but I didn't really need to see it. <laughs> yeah, I in terms of like the diversity, I did notice that there were some people of color like as extras walking around New York City, which I very much appreciated. Yes. It wasn't just all white. But I mean, yes, come on. It was like 99% caucasian people but... i know we're we're all our people of color <laughs> I not know. even one in the supporting speaking roles yeah either. yeah so. zero of them and then for me again i i wrote down here that it was just all white older men in, in the publishing house which maybe pretty Head accurate. well <laughs> it's very accurate <laughs> sad so sad <laughs> All right, so I have some trivia here. Uh, Barbara Novak's uh, long monologue at the end lasts three minutes and two seconds in a single unbroken shot. It took Renee Zellweger six takes to get it right. You know, in that scene, I did notice, I was like, wow, this is really long. And she's just going for it. Yes. I was like, this is really impressive. No deep breaths or anything. Yeah. That breathy Renee Zellweger delivery. (laughs) So coincidentally, Judy Garland, as we talked about, appeared on TV singing Down With Love. And then Renee Zellweger played Judy Garland in the movie Judy, which she actually won her second Oscar for. Oh, yeah. I have seen that on the streaming platforms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's all the interesting trivia I have. I think one thing that I noticed while I was writing my notes, because I kept writing Barbara Novak or Barbara, Mm. and I was like, I'm just going to shorten it to BN. Mm. And then her real name is Nancy Brown. So it's like this fun little mirror of her initials in her alias that she adopts. I love that catch. Yeah. So that was pretty fun. That's cool. Major. I was just thinking of Major Zip Martin. (laughs) It's just so outrageous. I'm sure there are some people whose name are Zip. It just reminds me of like somebody who also probably has the name Vanderbilt or something. (laughs) I feel like, was it a 60s thing where like a lot of men were named like Zip or I don't know. I can't even think of any other names at the top of my head, but just like very shortened Midwestern sounding names. No idea. That's a thing. I don't know. Anyway, um, but yeah, we can wrap it up. Do you have any last thoughts or last takes before we sign off? No, I think um, I think the movie's pretty good. It obviously has its flaws, so take it with a grain of salt. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, it's like a pretty fun, good time. Yeah, it's a fun, good time, and it, it will transport you to the '60s in New York City. Yeah, yeah. I don't have anything 
new to say here either, but uh, thanks for giving me a reason to to rewatch this movie. Yeah, no problem. Happy <laughs> happy to talk rom coms with you. I uh, hope to chat with you again sometime soon for another movie. Sounds good. Thanks to all tuning in to another episode of Romcom Weekly. You can follow us on Instagram at Romcom Weekly. Please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And let us know what you think of this movie, Down With Love. What would you rate this on a scale from 1 to 10? Thank you, Monica. And we'll talk with you again next week. Bye.